Young Persons Radio here on Radio Free Brooklyn. I am your host, Colby Smith, with you this and every Sunday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. And with me today is a wonderful comedian who you have seen on Chris Gethard Presents, Funny or Die, and more. And she's also the co-host, along with Kate Willett, of the politics podcast, Reply Guys. So, you know, we're going to be talking about the news. It's Julia Clare. <laughs> Thank you, Colby. This is very exciting. I'm, I'm excited to talk about the... The horrors of our nation uh, with you. Yes, very lighthearted discussion soon to follow. I can't wait. <laughs> so how are you? Uh, let's start with election night 2020. Okay. What does election night 2020 look like for a Julia Clare? Okay, so um, I had been feeling sick all day um, just because I really thought that Trump was going to win again. And not because, you know, there was never any doubt that Joe Biden was going to win the popular vote. He was always going to win the popular vote. But right. obviously our constitution that uh, has us in a chokehold is an arcane nightmare. And we, uh, you know, the, how, however many of the last presidents have lost the popular vote. Um, so I just knew, and, you know, basically ever since 2017, they said that there was a chance that whomever the next Democratic nominee could win by a larger popular vote margin and still, than Hillary did, and still lose the election. Mm -hmm. And I was just, you know, doom scrolling. We've, we've all heard about it. We all do it. But yeah, that, that statistic that like Trump was 300 times more likely to win the election than he was to win the popular vote yeah. terrifying horrible anyways i felt physically ill all day <laughs> absolutely um got very little done at work i um my friend another comedian jp mcdade uh who is the one person in my pod pretty much uh -huh. is because we're both kind of like in the same boat where we I don't know. We're just like lonely friends. <laughs> totally. Um, <laughs> a lot of those and, going around these days. You know? Um, so JP is like the only person who's been coming to my apartment since this whole thing started pretty much. And he came over and we just like ordered takeout and watched TV. Um, that was not the election results for that. We watched uh, Ted Lasso. Okay, yes. <laughs> um, we watched, watched the pilot of Ted Lasso. And then, but then it was like around nine and we uh, turned on the, I turned on the returns yeah. that were coming in and I was just like starting to sweat a little bit. Um, I was really holding my breath about Wisconsin and Michigan. Basically, we kept watching the returns for a few hours uh, until like midnight and then it was, you know, we we all knew that we weren't going to know anything right. definitively yeah. on election night. So, you know, JP left <laughs> and I uh, went to bed and I had had a few glasses of wine and I just, yeah. uh, you know, sat in my feelings for a little bit. Um, but yeah, and then the next few nights were kind of the same to the point yes. where I think he came yeah, JP came back two days later, and we did the same thing all over again because we still didn't know who the president was. Yeah. But yeah, election night was 
tensions were high. It was horrible, right? It was awful. <laughs> and I really, I just didn't, again, you know, Michigan and Wisconsin were, I was, I was worried. Yeah. Um, more so than Pennsylvania. I always thought that even though, like, I don't trust any polling and I don't care how many fucking times Nate Silver oh my God. says that it just does his little numbers. Get out of here, Nate, with your little numbers. No one cares. Your numbers are wrong. That's that's what I, I yeah I tweeted that uh, on election night. I said, "Win or lose, we fire Nate Silver out of a cannon at dawn." <laughs> <laughs> um, it was just really, it was a really high stress time, and I I think I actually was having some like physical manifestations of the stress, mm. just like in my body, because after it was clear that joe biden was going to win and when they finally called it on saturday morning yeah yeah it did feel and again joe biden is not my my guy yeah this was not a celebration about oh, joe come biden come on julia you love him come on wow yeah just i'm a <laughs> just a real neolib shill um <laughs> yes. yeah so but it did feel like a kind of like weight being lifted. Also, here in New York, uh, that Saturday was absolutely beautiful out. Yeah. And it just felt spooky. Yeah. Like it just felt I, – I took a walk outside and there were like dance parties and a bunch of my – like as I walked by, like neighbors were saying hello and congratulations and all these things. And it was so – I don't know. I allowed myself that one day of yes. feeling good and kind of celebratory and then immediately became furious at the prospect of Joe Biden picking an entire cabinet full of, I don't know, like uh, McKinsey CEOs. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like, yeah. yeah, big pharma CEOs and McKinsey contractors and yeah, Silicon Valley insiders. Yeah. Yeah, which is slowly happening before our very eyes. Currently, the the only person who doesn't make me furious uh, is Deb Haland, uh, who is the former chairwoman of the New Mexico Democratic Party, and she just won her re-election to the House. But she's being floated. She's being vetted right now by the Biden team, allegedly to be Secretary of the Interior, and she would be the first native person to ever serve in a as a a secretary in the in the cabinet in the at the federal level and obviously with the never ending ways in which this country fucks our native communities um and you know how the the Trump administration basically wanted to sell native lands for yeah, parts just every acre Every acre. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it, I, I don't think that would just be like a figurehead. I think it would be really important, not just symbolically. I think it would be actually important to have a, a native woman as secretary of the interior. It's not just like a kinder capitalism or something, but certainly all the other people on his advisory board are like big pharma, mm -hmm. uh, executives. Uh, yeah. I mean, the people who 
engineered Prop 22 that just uh, passed in California, California. which is like a huge, basically allows companies like Uber, Lyft, Grubhub, all that to kind of classify their employees as independent contractors in perpetuity and therefore they have like no rights. So the like the engineers of that legislation are also in the the ether of the Biden administration. So that's terrifying. Even though Biden says that, you know, he's made a lot of promises about unions having more rights under his administration. Obviously, I don't think it will be as bad as the Trump administration. Yeah, certainly not. Um, like the way that the Trump administration, quote unquote, worked was that every single cabinet secretary, their former career had been working expressly against the purpose of the cabinet that they now served in. Yes. Um, so, like, obviously, Betsy DeVos being the best example of this, probably, um, who was, like, a private school advocate and mm-hmm. called public education a dead end. and yeah. had, like, you no know, experience in the school systems no. anywhere. Scott Pruitt was the head of the EPA and he had sued the EPA 99 times in his yeah. former career. Um, you know, obviously Jefferson Beauregard Sessions. <laughs> <laughs> Remember him? <laughs> oh, yes. Um, yeah, no, but truly, I mean, like, an oil lobbyist and a coal lobbyist ended up being the heads of the secretary of, um, rather, of the EPA mm-hmm. and Interior. So, <sighs> obviously, it's not it's not going to be that bad again. Yes, yes. Just, I'm, I'm but just, that is... For, for people who are listening, I'm watching on the Zoom, Julia, just get bummed out thinking about... <laughs> <laughs> who's like, been at the wheel for the last four years <laughs> it's just i mean truly it's like obviously in like the head of the department of labor was sunny purdue who's like mm. real like a big right to work guy um uh, like really big anti-union guy right to work is i we gotta stop with that because yeah. that's that's like pro-life like it's just such a nonsense right term uh, yeah. and it's so it's just letting yeah it's anti-union it's it is just crazy. like the, yeah. the degree to which I feel, I mean, this is like a, this is definitely like a New York City bubble thing, I think, where like so many places, you know, and most of them are just like uh, media companies that are just like professional managerial class staff anyway, all unionizing right now. Um, not shaming it, obviously, but, but, <laughs> uh, but, um, it's it's crazy to me the degree to which like the anti-union sentiment has like really like permeated the like national consciousness in that like today I was watching De Blasio's press conference in which he like announced that schools would be closing you know for the next like you know an unforeseeable like future hopefully in the next couple weeks coming back and the comments that were coming through on twitter were just like great job united federation of teachers you've ruined public education in new york and it's just like i don't know how you get to that conclusion first of all and also like you're coming after a teacher's union now (laughs) like like it's it's ridiculous everyone needs to go to bed because seriously that's so i mean it was not the teacher's union who chose this yeah it was cuomo cuomo is choosing to close the schools 
and keep restaurants and bars open mm-hmm. when there is an abundance of data uh, saying that there has been no spike correlated uh, with mm-hmm. the very limited capacity in which schools are open. Right. Um, and the opposite is true. There has been a a notable correlation between between the spike and when indoor dining, even 25% indoor dining uh, was allowed again. And I understand that basically what's happening here, which is what happens all the time in uh, the nightmare era of, of late capitalism that we live in, is that obviously individuals are being, individuals and kind of different like small businesses and things are being blamed for issues that are structural in nature and they go much further up the ladder than Mm -hmm. this. Like the reason why you can't blame restaurants and bars and people who need to work. Of course not. Everybody needs a paycheck and nobody, you know, but why does everyone need a paycheck? Because there has been no assistance at the state or federal level in terms of bailing out people just paying people to not work which is what we should have been doing from the beginning that's kind of what a lot of the different countries who had this under control Mm. got this under control did um but the abdication of responsibility on the federal level certainly but also also cuomo like Mm -hmm. i really uh like sickens and upsets me and it what really upset me was that the the praise that Cuomo has oh. gotten from people in and outside of the state but especially outside of the state I'm like do you know that this dude fully tried to pass an austerity budget in the middle of coronavirus yeah yeah and like cut huge cuts to like medicaid and I you know, every we love to shit on Bill de Blasio here in New York and because he, he's so big and he's so yes. easy. The man is enormous. He is yeah. too big he's to gigantic. be alive. I saw him on the street like a week after he dropped out of the, the Democratic primary. And I mm-hmm. was just like, it's impossible to not recognize him. Like he's a hulking mass of a man. He is just a huge man. And he <laughs> and therefore he can't hide from any yes. of us. He's just at the Park Slope YMCA all the time, and we know we know where you are, Bill. But yeah, so it's easy it's easy and fun to dunk on Bill De Blasio, and he is certainly he's earned it. But I think that twice as much scrutiny should go to Andrew Cuomo because I mean Bill De Blasio is kind of an idiot, but. I guess his politics are technically better than Cuomo's and Cuomo is extremely centrist and he does kind of operate from a fiscal conservative mentality that's really damaging to one of the, you know, governor of New York state is like one of the most important jobs in America. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not to put too fine a point on it, but I don't know. Uh, Sorry. I am blabbing about, uh, (laughs) my hatred of andrew cuomo but you know well i really i, I voted for i voted for cynthia nixon so <laughs> well really what you're doing julia is you're just you're answering the questions i had written for you without me even having to ask them so you're being 
<laughs> an incredible guest right now. I am, God, I'm such a good guest. <laughs> oh, I know. I saw you on that vulture thing. What was it with uh, with Taylor Garrett? Oh, with Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. I love Taylor. Yeah. Always, uh, you know, this is the thing that uh, that people don't tell you about us podcast hosts is that uh, you ask us on your show, we're going to be a hell of a guest. (laughs) We're here. We're doing it. We're complaining about Bill de Blasio and Andrew Cuomo. Yes. (laughs) That's the New York way. Uh, Are you, how about local news speaking of, do you, are you a, a Brian Lara show listener? Um, I mean, he is, he's doing the Lord's work and God bless him. Oh yeah. Uh, but I can't, I can't listen to that. And I know that like de Blasio goes on sometimes and just has people yell at him, which is very funny to me. Well, he goes on like every, does he go on like every Every, week? Every Friday is uh, the weekly ask the mayor segment. It's so it's really just like everyone yells at him. Uh, yes. And that I mean, I guess that's fun in like a schadenfreude kind of way. It to- I, I, Let me tell you, it totally is. <laughs> <laughs> but for the most part, I hate when I hate listening to the just the regular people who call in. Uh-huh. With, I don't know. It really uh, it makes me weep for humanity sometimes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I also I grew up listening to like a lot of local talk radio and i think oh, i just have yeah. like ptsd from a lot of uh first time caller long time listeners 100 percent, yeah <laughs> uh and you know i don't know what your experience was but in my hometown the talk radio was like it was like npr in the morning immediately like rush limbaugh whoever was after yeah. rush limbaugh sean hannity mark levin like all these people who are just like still around in this like extremely parasitic way uh oh yeah julia claire what's your relationship to right-wing talk radio oh my god well i was <laughs> oh boy it's really it's interesting to see well it's, it's mostly like my what my dad listened to my i i yeah, my dad doesn't listen to it anymore. Yeah. And he, you know, to his credit. And he used to have, I'm glad that he is able to evolve in some way and also see the full-blown deterioration of some people he used to listen to. <laughs> like he really used to, he used to listen to Laura Ingram's show because she had oh, a, a, yes. a talk radio show. Yes, and I, you know, obviously I heard I was on in the car a lot. I don't know what's happened to her, but <laughs> she, you know, she's always been like a little kooky and she yeah. is like, you know, you're run of the mill kind of like Ted Cruz, hardcore right wing gal. She, mm. um, you know, but she, but like Ted Cruz, very, unfortunately, very smart, even though like in an evil way, certainly. And now she is, like, the last five years, she has just been, I don't know. I I am just forever terrified of the blonde women of Fox News. Oh, yeah. Um, and, like, Ann Coulter, you can almost kind of get your arms around a little bit more because she clearly just loves the attention right. so much. Whereas, like, like to the point that, yeah, I think she sucks and she's toxic and she's uh, the devil. But she also just like I feel like 
even more than her political convictions, she loves the attention so much. She loves, like, you know, some people just, it's like in wrestling, like, some people just love, like, being the heel. And she fucking loves it. She wants to come out to booze. She goes, because she goes on, like, all these, like, liberal left uh, TV shows and things like that. Yeah. Which I guess now Pete Buttigieg is doing for for us. He is yeah. uh, he has been permanently stationed on <laughs> Fox a, News. He's our Ant Coulter. He is our Ant Coulter. <laughs> uh, in that he has a a deadness behind his eyes. Uh-huh. Um, no, but honestly, you know I love that for Mayor Pete. I famously did not enjoy his presidential run uh, and thought he was bad, and uh-huh. I still kind of do. No, I still definitely do. I still think that he's not great. Yeah. But he seems to be pretty effective in going on Fox News and just absolutely demolishing whomever he is speaking to. And I'd rather see him do that against the right than fighting against the left from the center. Yes. He has found his niche completely now with this. Well, he's he's also another person who loves attention. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. I did not like him as a candidate either. I thought he was, like, smug in a way that, like, Harvard people uniquely are. Well, yeah, and that's, I mean, yeah, and that's also kind of a little bit Laura, that you used to be how Laura Ingram was, too. Because mm-hmm. I think she went to, like, Dartmouth or something. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I, I think Pete Buttigieg is kind of uniquely unlikable. Yes. <laughs> Uh, really holding that down for the men. Finally, an unlikable man. Yes. Um, they exist, and we <laughs> celebrate them. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that his campaign was really confusing because he didn't know what his messaging was. Yeah. He kind of moved, he moved pretty interestingly to the center over the course of his primary like further and further right mm-hmm. um really confusing and upsetting to watch yeah and i do i hated watching him in the debates because he is so smug yeah and i'm just like my dude you all due respect good sir are the mayor of a very small city in indiana <laughs> let's get some perspective um there was some there was some interview where where uh fran lebowitz was talking about the primary race and somebody brought up that that he was a mayor of south bend and she just went that's adorable yeah (laughs) it is it's like i mean but it was just you know that's the that's the kind of person that the the democratic establishment uh really fawns over and gets gets a big a big hard on for him. Yeah. Um, well, this perhaps might be a nice segue, Julia, into uh, talking about something that I know you guys talked about on Reply Guys this week, which is AOC's interview in the New York Times. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So she... I actually yeah, think ahead, that sorry. AOC came off. I think that that's like, maybe it's just my own bias in reading that, but I think she came off as the correct person in, but that again, that might be my own bias. I think if you're already kind of predisposed to not like her, maybe you, you wouldn't read it that way. Um, but yeah, but to the same, I mean, to the same 
point, basically what AOC, I'm assuming what you were getting at was that like AOC was saying that we need to kind of build platforms and tailor them to the constituents Mm -hmm. instead of just throwing a random candidate in there and hoping for the best. Yeah. Which is kind of, and, and not random, just kind of like a, like a computer generated hologram of yes. a of a centrist candidate or something that the the democratic establishment machine has has put into a computer and spit out um which is what Amy McGrath was yeah and uh in Kentucky but so a lot of people were calling AOC like divisive and a lot of other uh more distasteful pejoratives uh-huh. um but then i think maybe a day or two later doug jones who was i think the so far the only democrat in the in the senate to lose his seat mm-hmm. uh, lost his reelection, essentially said the same thing yeah uh is that like the dscc kind of and the DCCC run their campaigns around candidates and they don't base them off of the needs of the actual constituents and what kind of works in in those different places. So it, it's just, it is, it is really frustrating and it's something that we see time and time again. Amy McGrath is probably the most... Uh, egregious and obvious example uh, of late because she just the war chest that she amassed of donations was completely staggering something like 88 million dollars spent over 60 million dollars during the campaign and Mm. still lost by 20 points by 20 points um and that's not and that's not to say that Kentucky is irredeemable and the people of Kentucky are just like racist or they'll never be, uh, you know, it's, it's because Amy McGrath was not offering anything else. And I used to hate when people would talk like this. I really did. I was like, you know, I, and I still have, I have no place in my heart for nihilism or for just kind of like, uh, needlessly celebrating the failures of the democratic party. (laughs) Um, that's just not that's not my brand of leftism um and i i understand that the that is uh, a very popular kind <laughs> i was just going to say um, if that's what you want it's out there yeah oh oh it's out there and, <laughs> and everyone who's doing it is making like $20,000 a month on patreon <laughs> uh but yeah i i mean i was just i'm just kind of sickened by the whole amy mcgrath situation mostly because she had lost a an earlier run uh, for the House or for some yeah, some other seat. Mm-hmm. And then the Democratic Party did what they have done for the last 20 years or so. They upcycle yeah. someone who has lost. Yes. Um, and that's what... That's why I don't understand... I mean, that's, that's another reason why Beto, Ugh. even though he... You know, I I under I I got why he was why he was there, but uh, again, equally infuriating to see because he lost his 
uh, his race for yeah. for the house. Well, we but know yeah, why he, he was there, Julia. As he told Vanity Fair, he was he made was for born this. To, he was born to run. <laughs> yes. Made for this. Um, yeah, what a premature cover. I, <laughs> I love that cover now. Beto, born to run. I mean, I, I, I say I, I, I have more fondness for Beto than some of the other ghouls who were in the primary. Sure. Mostly because I just, I swear a lot and I love when someone swears uh-huh. uh, openly. Like yeah. Beto's out here saying, fuck yes, we're taking your guns. And I was like, <laughs> yes. that's a guy I can get behind. <laughs> uh and to say that as a a texan is is pretty big oh yeah for sure um and yeah but and that's why uh you know who also does that is uh kristen gillibrand kristen gillibrand oh yes yes she swears a lot um which i like i i also think that she you know she comes from upstate new york and she was a a congresswoman there for uh, representing a kind of like more rural part of New York for a long time. And I think she just has been uh, hazed throughout her whole career. And now she is like permanently a guy's girl. Uh When she was running for president, if I had to watch one more fucking picture of her eating wings or playing (laughs) beer pong, I was like, when are they going to let her rest? Yes. Please stop <laughs> trying. Stop making her try to prove herself to the fellas. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, she's in the show. My boys. <laughs> yeah. No, she has, she has an all time, uh, an all time quote, which is after the 2016 election, she was um, giving a speech, and she said that she that it was clear that. Uh, that the American people felt that the Democratic Party has abandoned them, which is true. Yeah. And then she says, and we need to show, like, we need to show up and we need to help people because if we're not helping people, what the fuck are we doing here? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's that's it, lady. <laughs> um, so anyways, yeah, my whole uh, political ideology is based on who swears in a yes. cool way. <laughs> Hey, you got to pick something and stick with it. And that's all it yeah. takes. Um, it, does, it does make me think of, though, um, do you follow uh, the writer Jacob Bacharach on Twitter? No, what a name. Yeah, yeah he's, he, he just tweets about, like, leftist politics a lot. But he made the point whenever Biden started pulling ahead of Bernie in the in the Democratic primary that it seems as though as much as America hates the Clintons, they have not finished with Clintonian politics by which they, by which he meant that like centrist Democrats do seem to have like some pull on voters in like large chunks of like the Midwestern States. And I like, I, I mean, obviously we are probably very like in capable of like uh, personally answering that question but like i don't know something about that just seemed like like not quite right to me i don't know what's your what's your reaction to that okay so i would agree i mean i think that you know and I, i've said this many times before clintonian politics do sort of rule the day mm-hmm. here at the federal level um in terms of both senate races and who we nominate uh, for to represent the party um, at yeah. the presidential level, 
Yeah, and Bill Clinton is held up as a, you know, a beacon, a two-term winner. <laughs> yeah, a two-term winner. Yeah. And, like, Obama was a two-term winner as well. And Obama famously campaigned much further to the left than he than how he ended up governing. Yeah. And, again, so, so people use that as an example of, like, we need centrism. Uh, but really... <sighs> it's frustrating, right? It it is frustrating. And, you know, I go back and forth on this because if you look at the numbers of what was going to happen anyways in that primary, uh if you added up all the centrist candidates uh and their support and the votes that they received um added up like all the centrists and then maybe like Bernie and Warren mm-hmm. or even yeah if you add if you added those two up you added all the centrists and then Bernie and Warren the centrists win out anyways right um so I am not in even though I I love Senator Bernard with all my heart I would vote for him a thousand times more um he will live forever <laughs> I think he's proven that um yeah I I was pretty surprised that he didn't perform better in Michigan this time around. Mm, yeah. Um, during the primary. And that kind of caused some some concern, yeah. I, I guess, in, in, in me and made me think that maybe he he was on shakier ground than I thought. The only time I thought he really had a shot at going all the way was after he won Nevada. Yeah, that was crazy. Which was an all-time night. Um, just a great, a great time. I can't believe that that was this year. <laughs> no. That feels like 15 years ago. Seriously. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, I am not in, uh, I would love to be in the Bernie would have won camp. I would love that. Sure. Uh, yeah. but I am simply not just because it, it does look like, unfortunately, a lot of the Democratic electorate is more centrist yeah. than we think. However, I don't know. The Again, the kind of like obsession with, cent- with centrism is really rooted in like the fact that conservative rhetoric and conservative ideology has permeated into every, yeah. every area of life. Like in uh in our political lives and every issue pretty much is centered around the right wing talking points of that issue any anything Mm -hmm. and that's what's really frustrating i mean yeah bill clinton was about as fiscally conservative as you get um and he yeah i mean he I don't think that there should be a place in the in the Democratic Party for for someone like Bill Clinton. Not um, now, certainly. I mean, if the this is my favorite anecdote about well, it's it's not it's not because it's good, but just because it's I think it's really indicative of who Bill Clinton is and who and who he was as president. Um, is that they were gonna take a swing at privatizing, um social security 
And yeah. he was working with Newt Gingrich on that, who was uh, Speaker of the House at the time. And then the the Clinton Lewinsky scandal happened. And Newt Gingrich thought, oh, it's too toxic for me to be working with Bill Clinton. <laughs> and so that that's the reason why Bill Clinton didn't get to pull off the the great heist of the Republican dream of privatizing Social Security. Yes, yes. <laughs> Anyways, Bill Clinton sucks and... Yeah, thumbs down. Thumbs down, Bill Clinton. GTFO. And, you know, we, we trot him out for every fucking convention every four years he's a bag of bones now yeah. and he's just <sighs> i don't know i uh, <laughs> i'm when i think about bill clinton i become immediately exhausted and <laughs> um christian gillibrand to her credit once again she's you know she's been kind of on a lot of different sides of different issues that i and i don't always agree with her but she has had some unambiguously kind of good things to say over the past few years and good stances to have, Mm. uh, even on some very unsexy things. Like her big thing is she wants like postal banking. She wants like a, she wants public banking in every post office. And that's like good policy. That's a good idea. It's really cool. Um, and again, not particularly sexy, but it's important and it would like make people's lives better. Yeah. Um, But one of the things that she said, you know, obviously she famously was the first one to call for Al Franken to resign. But she also said, I think the Democratic Party needs to reexamine its relationship with Bill Clinton for that reason. Mm -hmm. And like basically saying, are we the party of zero tolerance on these things or aren't we? Yeah. And she's right. Yeah. And shockingly, uh, you know, as one would imagine, she could basically like nobody wanted to touch her with a 10-foot pole when she ran for president um because she's the one who's seen as like being toxic for yeah. for saying those very obvious things yeah it's it's one of those things that it, that is particularly infuriating um especially because people who i otherwise respect still have come to bat for al franken in a way that i oh sure do not understand like jane mayer uh, who's one of my, one of my favorite one of my favorite journalists uh, for the New Yorker? Hmm. Yeah, I mean Jane Mayer devoted a a very long piece in the New Yorker to trying to vindicate Al Franken, and I just think some people aren't worth it, babe. You just gotta know when to hold them and know when to fold them, and yes. um, you know it, it's it was like an open secret that Al Franken kind of had. Just like inappropriate, some problems behavior. Yeah. Uh, I knew that a while ago. My uh, mm. when I was in college, a few of my friends uh, interned on the Hill, as you do when you're in the general DC area. Go Terps. <laughs> go go Hounds. Go Greyhounds. Um, yeah, and. I mean, I heard about it back then. Like, oh, yeah. Like, just basically people being like, yeah, I hear Al Franken is kind of weird in a bad way. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I had a similar thing just being in that in that area around the same time, which is that uh, House of Cards started filming yeah. in the D.C. area my senior year of college. And uh, like a friend of a friend uh, was like very aggressively pursued at a bar by Kevin Spacey. Uh, <gasps> And so, you know, when all that stuff came out, I was like, oh, my God, I, I maybe that was more serious than I yeah. thought it was at the time. Wow. Kevin, man, I mean, no, there's a guy who's got a lot of issues. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, we are running short on time. Uh, so I want to close out the political discussion with a just a simple what can people do now? It's easy to feel powerless yeah. uh, in these times, uh, even though, you know, uh, uh, Joe Biden did win. Uh, it's still there are a lot of things to get discouraged about. Oh, um, yeah. So what can people do now? So this is something that I, I try to focus on a lot because it's really important. And I, you know, as I alluded to earlier, I tend to resist nihilism. Mm-hmm. Uh and and I one of the reasons why I hate kind of nihilistic attitudes is I think it gives people an excuse to do nothing to feel that they can that they're justified in doing nothing right when there is actually so much to be done um and if you are into lefty politics if you you know are into to the cause and I for me the thing that has been the most impactful is um getting involved with different local campaigns uh i, mm, I totally. did that through uh my local dsa chapter uh and i think three of the different campaigns that i worked on we got dsa backed candidates into those seats and they won mm-hmm. um and you know up and down the ballot recently there have been you know big races uh big congressional races of people running on kind of robust, unambiguous platforms with Medicare for All, with the Green New Deal, things like that. Jamal Bowman won here in New York. Um, Mondaire Jones. And, you know, it's not just... It's not just white guys who are... It's a, a lot of times, you know, I think every everyone who won in New York as a DSA-backed candidate, I'm pretty sure, was a person of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and... At the local level, we just got, you know, Jabari Brisport and Far Sufran Forrest elected to the uh, state Senate and the state uh, assembly, respectively. It's just like a really exciting time. And that's not even all of them. There's, there are always ways that you can get involved and there are always endless opportunities in campaigns and campaigns always need help. And... Mm -hmm. I mean, apart from that, if like electoral politics aren't your thing or whatever, or you just don't want to do it, <laughs> God bless you. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, but you should, I mean, everyone should like, should have some experience phone banking and canvassing when we get back to a normal world. Yeah. Because I think it's important. It's like, you know, everyone should spend some time working in retail or the service industry. I just think it's like important um, to understand people. Um, and it's a good skill to have. And I also know people who have like crippling social anxiety who were able to like push through it and 
uh, canvas and phone yeah. bank. And it's it's possible. Even if you think you can't do it, it's once you get going, it's kind of incredible how how uh, how much easier it is. But apart from that, if you again, if electoral politics is not the route you want to go, I would say look up your local mutual aid organizations. Um, I live in Bedsty, uh, so we have Bedsty Strong, which kind of like operates through a Slack channel, and they're constantly like delivering groceries to different folks in need um and doing things like that community fridges are the same sort of same sort of deal um but yeah i mean i really would just say like look up just different progressive organizations that you can get involved in in your area i think that the i'm assuming that most of the people who listen to the show are in new york city um maybe maybe we don't know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but like I, I mean NYCDSA has some like really incredible resources and it's a it's just a great group and it's I've been uh I've been a member for three years and I it's changed my life it's just um I've met some really incredible people and also just seeing these candidate these races and candidates people who we support win um, in a place that is as controlled by big money as New York is, is yeah. really inspiring. And it makes makes things feel more possible and more tangible. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, too, specifically, you tweeted something recently about uh, DSA in New York is, like, forming a housing justice I- effort. Uh, oh, no, that's, did you want... th- that's there. That's So that's actually... So I am, uh, that's actually kind of was my entry point to DSA was oh, the gotcha. okay. um, housing working group with mm. um, Brooklyn DSA, New York City DSA. Gotcha. And the, it's the Brooklyn housing working group. Um, housing has always been kind of like a real interest of mine in terms of public policy. And, and uh, obviously I think that the way that housing is commodified in this country is disgusting and it is really comes to roost particularly here in places like new york Mm -hmm. um where you see just like you know there's you know people are paying over half their income to rent and the only new housing being built are luxury condos that often go vacant or they are vacant three quarters of the year because people use them like wealthy oligarchs use them as like a pied a terre or something like that and again, uh, the the state is very much in a lot of ways controlled by the real estate industry. Yes. Um, so yeah, um, I totally recommend checking out the the housing working group. It's again that was my entry point to DSA. It's been life cha- changing work. I've learned so much. I've talked to mm. so many uh, people who you know live live in the city. Met so many uh, so many people who live in like really far flung areas of Brooklyn. Um, And yeah, so the housing working group was part of the housing just, it still is part of the housing justice for all coalition, which is kind of like an upstate downstate alliance of all these Mm -hmm. different nonprofit organizations and things like DSA. But it's, I mean, it's, it's affected real change. Uh, Yeah. Last year, there was a a docket of nine rent control bills, like nine 
housing justice bills, essentially, that went to the state legislature and eight of them passed. Mm. And that really, I mean, a big part of that is because a few, there were like a few strategic races where the right people got elected. Yeah. And kind of unseated those like centrist, really corporate bought Democrats who were there before. Right. Um, so I know that I think when you're you're focusing on federal politics, it can seem like change can seem so far away and like any sort of control feels just like impossible. But that's why these local races are so important because just a few seats here and there can make an enormous difference. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, now New York state has statewide rent control. So you're welcome everyone. (laughs) No, it's no, uh, I'm no, absolutely not. That's, it was not, I didn't, I didn't do it. I helped, but I, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I didn't do it. Um, yeah, no, but it's, it's a great, Mm -hmm. it's a, a great organization to be, involved with and you know we have so many unhoused neighbors here in new york as well yeah um i I say this all the time that moving to new york is what radicalized me yeah um because it's just seeing the richest rich and the poorest poor kind of right next to each other um is really it's really upsetting i don't know how Some people can just like walk around the city and not be enraged. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but yeah. For sure. Well, yeah, this, you know, that's a lot that we can do. <laughs> um, uh, now that we've, you know, sort of eaten our vegetables, so to speak, right. uh, uh, Julia, Claire, uh, I like to end the show with just a nice little, a nice little dessert. This okay. is a series of questions that we ask every guest uh, mm-hmm. uh here at young uh, young persons radio um this is the young persons radio guest questionnaire okay if you would oh so so it's sort of like the inside the actor studio pivo questionnaire very much so very okay. much so the first question is who is an actor or actress who every time they come on screen you find yourself thinking oh neat <laughs> Okay, uh, Sam Elliott. Ah, yes, yes. A wonderful answer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, just watched Big Lebowski for the first time in years a couple weekends ago. Such a treat to see him on screen. I love Sam Elliott. You're never mad that he's there. It's always a treat to see him on screen. Yeah, and I love that voice. Love that voice. It's the best voice. Star is born, right? Oh, of course, of course, I did. Great to see him for so long up there. I loved it. Breezing in and out. You know, yeah, we we don't get enough Sam Elliott. That's what I. That's my issue with most mainstream media. Media is that just there's a dearth of Sam Elliott. (laughs) I love it. Next question. Let's say hypothetically you're stricken ill. You're at home. You're lying on the couch. What show do you put on while you heal? 30 Rock. Nice. Nice. Same. Very much same for me. Next it's per- question. It's a perfect show. Oh, it's the best. No I notes. It. Yeah, seriously. Um, question number three. 
Karaoke, open bar or private room? Uh, neither. Burn karaoke to the ground. Really? An anti-karaoke guest? After all this goodwill we've built up, Julia? Absol- I, you know what? Absolutely will. This is the hill I'll die on. Is that kar- <laughs> karaoke sucks. What, you like bar trivia? What's your thing? Anything that isn't karaoke. <laughs> and you know what? Throughout coronavirus, there have been so many people who've been like, oh, God, I miss, what I really miss is karaoke. And I'm just like, I've never related to anyone less in my life. Less than <laughs> Okay, cool. Um, thank you for that answer. Um... <laughs> You're so welcome. <laughs> Question number four is... You find yourself in a casino. You look down in your hand. What's that? It's $200 worth of chips. It's not your money. It's someone else's. It's there. It's found its way to you. What do you do with it? See, I'm... This is why I'm not fun, is that I, like, can't... I can't even enjoy this hypothetical situation because <laughs> I think about even if it's not my money, I'm just like, oh no, well even if I try to gamble half of it, what if I lose half of it? Like I'm too nervous about everything. So I guess uh-huh. I mean I guess I would which is so silly. I would only gamble $100 of it. Okay. Okay. And I would keep the other 100 uh lest I lose it all. Yes, just so you're still up a hundred dollars. Still up a hundred dollars. I love this. is a very practical answer. I know. I hate my crippling practicality. <laughs> I've never had fun. Well, it's never too late to start. I won't personally. You, but... me, islands in the stream, open bar karaoke, twenty twenty two. Walk into the ocean. <laughs> The final question on the Young Person's Radio Guest Questionnaire. What is the dumbest thing that's ever made you cry? Ooh, God, there's a list. There are so many, so many things. I mean, oh, God. I, the dumbest thing that's ever made me cry. Like, oh, a video of a baby orangutan who, like, didn't want to learn how to climb he had been like abandoned in the wild or he was there was something that happened in the wild i think he like there was some like terrible like palm oil clearing or something and he uh-huh. was found and uh then this this team at this zoo had to try to teach him or this conservation place had to try to teach him how to be an orangutan so he could um go back into the wild and um he just didn't want to do it and he was like a really tiny baby orangutan and they look so human oh my god and then so they and his name was peanut which already which already i'm sobbing i was just gonna say it's getting to (laughs) me now (laughs) and so they put him out on the ropes course and he's clinging on to the the human handlers for dear life he doesn't even want to they are trying so hard and they finally get him to hang up there and he just hangs there doesn't move and he starts crying (laughs) and then i start crying (laughs) oh my god 
And so that's probably the dumbest thing. But also, I know that I'm not alone. That's one of the the reasons why I do like the YouTube comment section sometimes is just like Uh on videos like that. I think the top comment there was like, me yesterday, I don't think about orangutans that much. Me today, I would literally die for peanut. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yeah, hell yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, all of those, all of those things. Sometimes I just have like two glasses of wine and I will cry about how much I love one of my friends. Oh, sure. It's kind of silly. (laughs) See, you are fun. You're a happy drunk. I am. I I've been there thinking about. Go. I well, yeah. I'm a running yourself down. I'm no fun. I'm a yeah. I guess I'm a tears of joy drunk yes. instead of a tears yes. of sadness, which is another breed of unsettling. But <laughs> we'll take it. Well, I would die for peanut. I can't think of a better way to end the show. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Uh, People should listen to Reply Guys, obviously, uh, and follow you on Twitter, at Julia Tweets. Have I done all your plugs for you, or is there something else? Oh, it's at O Julia Tweets. O-H Julia Tweets. O Julia Tweets. Um, Yeah, no, that's it. That's all you need to know. I mean, I I have no stand-up shows to plug at all (laughs) because stand-up doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, but I uh, I wish everyone well. I hope everyone's staying safe and healthy. Yes. Well, Julia, thank you so much for joining the show. It was such a joy to talk to you. Oh, great to talk to you, too. Thanks for having me. Okay. I'm stopping now. Ah, <laughs> uh, That was great. Thanks so much for doing that. I really appreciate it. Hi, this is Jimmy. Well, that's the end of the music, but it's not the end of the show. For those of you computer literate parrot heads out there, stick this CD into your computer and you can see an enhanced video of what we do and what we say backstage behind the scenes.